Welcome back to another episode of One Stop Sports. Today we have a 6, 4, 2, and 1 seed all getting upset in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. Aaron Rodgers clears the air on what's going on with him and the Packers and the Jets. World Baseball Classic quarterfinals are set, but an MLB star is now out for the season. F1 gets back to racing this weekend, and Edwards vs. Usman 3 is in London. We're going to start with the World Baseball Classic. Going to wrap up some of the things that's been going on in pool play. Team USA has officially moved out of pool play with a 3-2 win over a struggling Colombian team. Uh, Columbia, you thought would have, been, would have been a bit better than they were. They ended up placing third in the um, in the pool. Mexico was the only other team to come out of Pool C, securing their spot after a 10-3 win over Canada. Canada had one strong game, and then that was kind of it. Uh, the USA kind of beat them up pretty good. Mexico beat them up pretty good. They didn't really have too much of a chance to get out of pool play without beating Mexico. So out of Pool D was the only other pool that we were waiting for a resolution before we head over to quarterfinals play. Dominican Republic found itself on the outside looking in. So, I mean, that's very surprising that the Dominican Republic didn't even come out of pool play. Uh, unbeaten Venezuelan team well, ended up going 4-0 in that pool, which is, again, very surprising. Not that they're a bad team, but having Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic in there, you figured they would have at least split games. So Venezuela and Puerto Rico are the two teams that advance from Pool D. Like I said a minute ago, it's a big shock that uh, the Dominican team was unable to come out of pool play, considering they have players like Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and uh, Endeavors, uh, and then to not even make it out. You know, they were one of the favorites to win the entire tournament. So obviously that's going to be a real issue for them over the next couple of years, trying to figure out what the hell went wrong. How were they such a stacked team and didn't even make it out of pool play? Granted, that was probably the toughest pool to get out of. So it wasn't exactly like they just completely shit the bed. But again, that's a team with the experience and talent that you thought would have been at least been in a tiebreaker situation. You know, didn't even get to that. So in the first game... For the quarterfinal matchups, we had Cuba versus Australia. This is going to be a one-and-done type of scenario, obviously, now that we're out of pool play. So it's a win-and-go-home, a win-or-go-home, rather. So you had Cuba beating Australia in the first uh, game for the quarterfinals. So the Cuba's going to be heading to the semifinals. Uh, Japan went ahead and beat Italy in their quarterfinal matchup 9-3. to So they secured their spot in the semifinals. And uh, Friday night, as I'm recording this, uh, I think the game started about 20 minutes ago. I'm uh, currently watching the NCAA tournament. But uh, Friday night, Puerto Rico is going to be playing Mexico, and the U.S. plays Venezuela on Saturday. So those are the last two quarterfinal games, um, with the winners obviously going to be playing in the semifinals. Um, I believe that's going to be early next week. We're talking Monday, Tuesday. They haven't released all the dates yet. It's depending on how that all goes so we're looking at monday tuesday yeah so the championship game is going to be on tuesday monday is going to be japan versus to be determined and cuba versus to be determined on sunday so those games will be we'll go over some of that stuff come uh, monday show obviously championship will be next week so we'll have that all covered it's going to be coming up to an end pretty quick it's not a lot of teams involved it's not like some long drawn out thing like like you know you would see with the Olympics or the World Cup for soccer, 
it's not quite as long of a process. It's in spring training right before the regular season. They can't really afford to make it too long. And there's not a whole lot of t- other countries that play baseball. You know, you think one of the biggest other countries that we tend to think of when we talk about sports with Great Britain, England, that whole region, won their first World Baseball Classic game this season. So it's not exactly like they're a powerhouse. There's not a lot of teams. It's mainly a Latin American Far East and you know, U.S. sport for the most part. We did have some bad news, though, unfortunately, coming out of the World Baseball Classic. Mets star closer Edwin Diaz ended up suffering a torn patella tendon in his right knee. It happened uh, while celebrating Puerto Rico's win. He ended up closing out the game to send Puerto Rico to the quarterfinals. The team was jumping on the field. All the players would jump around. He ended up twisting it, landed on it, just ha- whatever freak little accident happened. It's hard to kind of tell exactly what happened. He just went to the ground grabbing his knee. So that's obviously really unfortunate because he, he's going to end up missing the entire season. There's really no way around that. Um, I know a lot of New York fans that are Mets fans are going to remember Victor Cruz um, quite a few years ago did the same, had the same similar injury with the NFL, torn patella tendon or ruptured patella tendon, and he was never the same player after that. He was quite a good player. That injury happened, and it just kind of unraveled for him. So hopefully for his sake that, that that's, you know, it's not football, um, so they're not going to be doing as much cutting and stuff. So hopefully he can make a full recovery and it doesn't really hamper his long-term career. He's a pretty young guy. He's under 30, one of the best closers in the league. You know, you, you don't really like seeing that happen, obviously. But what I don't really seem to understand is why you see online a lot of people bitching and complaining about the fact that, you know, he got hurt and it's not for his team that's paying him and and the fans and this and that and the other thing. You know, I, I've never really um, understood that argument too much. Mainly because, like, you look at, um, like, the Olympics and the World Cup for soccer. These guys are grown men and women that play the sport that they've been playing since they were children. Yes, they play it for money. But... They also get to represent their countries. A lot of these people have came from these countries, especially like the Latin American teams and uh, Far East teams. They have grown up in these countries. It's not like, oh, they just have a, a distant ancestor, so they just go play for them. A lot of these guys in the MLB are coming from Latin America. So, so for them to go home and be able to represent their country and play with other con- fellow countrymen that might be on other MLB teams or might not even be in the MLB, it's a great experience, in my opinion. Obviously, I've never been fortunate enough to do that. But guys are going to get hurt all the time. So the argument that, oh, we shouldn't play these tournaments, these national tournaments, because guys can get hurt, that is, I, I don't like that argument, really. I understand the argument, because you do have their professional ownerships and teams paying them all this money to play. But that, that's part of it, man. You got to grow the game as well. You got to be able to market these guys internationally. It, it, it's a really shitty situation, but it is what it is. Uh, Islander fans will remember in 2014 with John Tavares when they were playing the Olympics in Sochi. He was playing for Team Canada and he tore his MCL. Ended up missing the rest of the season for the Islanders, you know, as they're making a playoff push. So, you know, as an Islander fan myself, it sucked. You know, it really did. But, you know, as a, also a hockey fan, I love watching the Olympics. It, it wouldn't be the same without these players playing. 
So unfortunately, to you know, want to cancel these whole tournaments and all these things because sometimes a freak accident happened. Like the Edwin Diaz thing wasn't even about him playing. It was him celebrating. You know, that's happened countless times over the years in different sports. Guys celebrate and get hurt. It's an unfortunate reality. And a little while before I started recording, you know, this episode here, on the Mets spring training game, uh, Brandon Nimmo, outfielder for the Mets, he, it appears like he may have suffered a pretty significant knee injury. The, the way that he was squirming around in pain on the ground after, you know, he was sliding into second base. It appeared like his cleat got caught up underneath and got caught in the dirt and kind of twisted up his knee. But he was squirming around on the ground in pain, like banging on the ground, could not put any weight on it whatsoever. Now, so you're talking a spring training game, which literally means nothing. It's practice games. They're essentially scrimmages. Half the games are split squads, so you're having all different types of players you know, playing. It's not like your team going out to win for your country or anything. It's spring training, and you got guys potentially, you know, with some pretty serious injuries. So to kind of put it on, you know, the World Baseball Classic or the Olympics or the World Cup or soccer or any of that stuff, I I don't think it's right. Injuries are going to happen no matter what. It's sports. Yeah, would injuries not happen if you didn't play it? Obviously. But, you know, there's other repercussions. Guys just, guys just like doing it. And if you don't like it, I don't. I mean, it is what it is. They're going to do it anyway. So it's just an unfortunate reality. So we're going to slide over to the NBA. We're going to save the NCAA stuff to the end because I'm in the middle of still watching some of these games. So we'll, we'll go through that. It, it was obviously a very crazy first round. So we'll stop with the NBA right now. We'll do um, – so, again, with these injuries – hate to go from injury to injury, but let's get this one out of the way here, right? So, Levar, uh, Lonzo Ball um, for the Chicago Bulls is going to end up most likely missing all of next season also. He's missed all of this season with a knee injury that he suffered in January of 2022. So, he's looking at his third knee surgery in as little as 14 months, which, I mean, that's, that's a, an obscene amount of surgery on a knee especially for a basketball player. They, it's Each sport's a little different and a little bit more forgiving with certain injuries, but being on the hardwood, you know, being as tall as these guys are, for some reason the taller they are, they seem to break down a little bit more with um, a lot of force. Again, I'm not a freaking doctor or anything like that, but it just seems like that. You know, you see guys like Derek Rose just completely blow out his knees. Greg Oden comes to mind, uh, complete bust. I, mainly, I think, from what I remember, because of his knees – Again, not that like it doesn't happen in other sports. They seem to get a little bit more wear and tear on those joints. They're ending up doing a cartilage transplant. Now, that seems, from what they were saying in a couple of the articles that I was reading, it's, it's a very significant surgery. It's almost like a last resort type of surgery. Hence, you know, it makes sense being the third surgery on the knee. Obviously, the first two didn't do what they needed to do. So they're going to have to go a little bit more drastic means, I guess. You know, there was some speculation in some of the articles that uh, it might be difficult for him to come back and play, period. Which would be, obviously, incredibly unfortunate. He was a very good player before the injury. It's been a while since he's played for obvious reasons. But to even have it the rest of his career potentially even like severely hampered or affected would just be you know, just a real shit situation. It, it brings back shade to Derrick Rose also 
when he was with the Bulls with his knee injuries. MVP caliber player had a couple bad knee injuries and just kind of unfortunately whittled away. And it, it that's you know that's the unfortunate reality when it comes to especially basketball and football in my opinion. You know, you know basketball you got to be able to jump and have some spring in your in your legs. And once that goes, unless you're like one of those seven footer guys that can kind of just stand there, you know, it appears like it becomes a lot more difficult for you to kind of maintain pace, especially, you know, obviously the NBA is creme de la creme. So it's not exactly like you're going to run around on one leg and be sufficient. So Michael Jordan is looking to actually sell a majority stake in the Charlotte Hornets, which is mildly surprising. Also mildly not surprising. He is also a NASCAR owner, part owner in NASCAR, so I'm sure that costs quite a bit of money. Charlotte Hornets haven't really been a good team um, for quite some time, if we're being honest. Went through a couple name changes, rebrands, and it's, you know, they're not bad, they're not good, they're kind of just there, so to speak. But for him, it makes sense because he's going to make a shitload of money, an absolute shitload of money. He paid $275 million for a majority stake in the team. And, um, yeah, now it's valued at over a billion. So if he goes ahead and sells a majority stake, still holds minority ownership, you're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in profit for him. So that's one hell of a return of investment. A lot of this stuff comes with him also just being Michael Jordan. You know, that team's automatically going to, just have a little bit higher value just because he's involved with it. Anything that he touches, he's usually pretty good with. For some reason, the Charlotte Hornets, though, are, have not really fulfilled the greatness you would expect of any of something that Michael Jordan deals with. I don't know if it, what the issue is. They, they're not really ever in the news. They don't ever really sign anybody. They don't make good trades. They, they're just kind of like hanging off in the in the distance for some reason. Um, so John Morant sat down for an interview with Jalen Rose over the weekend, or it aired over the weekend, or I'm sorry, end of the week, uh, to discuss some of the incidents that he found himself involved with over the past few months. Um, this this is uh, a few days after he, I think it was, he checked him, I think he checked himself, and there was some conflicting reports depending on what website you read or who you hear it from. Some were saying that it was. It may be like a handshake deal. That may be more what's being confused between the two. That the NBA wanted him to go to counseling or that he himself went and seeked counseling. Either either way, he was only in counseling for a handful or day, not even a handful. He was only there for maybe three days at, at most from start to finish. But at some point during this, you know, he sat down for an interview with Jalen Rose from ESPN and went over and... He ended up asking him multiple questions, you know, just kind of going over the incident. One question that kind of stuck out to me was he asked, like, whose gun was it? Almost like he, he was like a, some detective or something. Like, And then John Moran's like, oh, it wasn't my gun. You know, I don't believe in that type of stuff. I don't, hand, I don't, I'm not involved with any of that type of stuff. It just seemed very forced, like a very forced interview, like a clear my name so I can get back to the games before the playoffs start type thing. Again, I could be completely misreading the situation, but normally, you know, a lot of these guys in the past have went into counseling for a variety of reasons or personal reasons or whatever, and generally speaking, 
a couple uh, like a handful of days after they go into these facilities you're not seeing them do sit down interviews for espn insiders you know normally they're kind of focused on doing their thing and they kind of want to keep it private you know he came out and you know it was like i'm a change man i this really helped me i learned a lot about myself it's like buddy you're there for three days you know it's it's kind of surprising that everybody is in in, not, I wouldn't say everybody, everybody on ESPN, for the most part, has just kind of accepted like he's a changed man and he'll be good to come back to the NBA here in a few days and be ready for the playoffs. It Just judging by the incidents that he's been involved with, that strip club gun incident, that, that was the one Jalen uh, Rose was referring to, that wasn't the only incident that involved the handgun with him. Most of, I believe there's four or five incidents over the past few months, all but I believe one of them involved a handgun or some type of handgun insinuation or gun insinuation. So to act like that strip club, oh, that wasn't my gun, I don't handle myself like like that. It's like, well, you got quite the track record over the past three, four months of handling yourself exactly like that. So, uh, again, not to be jaded or naive or cynical here, but... It just seems like he wants to just clear his name, get back to playing basketball just so we can make sure he gets that max deal. Because there is an escalator in his contract currently that might earn him up to about another $60 million, depending on which ones he gets. It needs to be MVP, All-NBA team, and um, an All-Defensive team, and a... it's like a, like three or four different escalators, and depending on which ones, obviously those they're not all out to the public. It was reported on a couple of different escalators, but there's a few other ones that they were insinuating that, depending on which ones he gets, he can up earn up to like another fifty or sixty million dollars this year. So, big incentive for him to get his ass back to playing and, and to get to back to the playoffs. They're number two seed currently, so him getting back into the swing of things before the playoffs would be obviously very important for him and his teammates. So, you go, speaking of the playoffs, um, there's not really been any changes in terms of playoff seating over the past couple days. So that kind of, everything's kind of status quo with that. We'll touch back on that. We'll, I'll keep an eye on it as we go through the weekend and over the next few days as it gets closer and closer. We're about 10 games left, 12 games left. Again, these are depending on the teams. Same thing with the NHL. It's going to be depending on the specific team. Some games, some guys have more games played than others. That's just kind of how scheduling works right now. There's not really been any changes, so we'll check back over the next few days. Uh, the one thing that I am actually pretty excited about this weekend is going to be F1's back. They had the week off last weekend. I'm, I'm a huge F1 fan. I don't know if, if anybody here has ever watched it, any listeners have watched it. Uh, I know Drive to Survive is very, very popular, especially in the United States right now. Because Generally speaking, growing up, um, I've always heard of F1. You don't see it on TV. It's always been very difficult to find. And the time frame that it's on, it's not like you know NFL football where we know one, four, eight. You know, it's kind of when we know the games are on. It depends because it's a, a world traveling organization. So some races will be one o'clock in the morning Eastern time. If they're racing, um, you know, Japan or something. Uh, this week it's Saudi Arabia, so Eastern time it's one p.m. There'll be races at 8 a.m., you know, so it's 
unless you're like into it, it's hard to necessarily know what's going on when the like there's practices, qualifyings, different race times. Um, awesome sport to watch if you enjoy watching high performance racing. Um, just even just engineering marvels, just motorsports in general, just beautiful things to watch. Watching these cars and once you kind of start watching it and you get into like the nitty gritty of how these cars perform and get into like the detail work it, it will absolutely blow your mind if anybody's got nothing to do sunday afternoon i know there's you know we got march madness going but if you throw the race on in the background should be a pretty good race um we had fp1 fp2 which is for those non-f1 fans it's free practice one free practice too so there's a few practice sessions per at every racetrack before qualifying and then obviously the race so it's a a weekend endeavor so you're talking friday saturday sunday um so there's a bunch of things to watch over the weekend to kind of you know you'll see the cars get tuned like fp1 it was max verstappen sergio perez fp2 is max and then fernando alonso from a different team the things to watch you're obviously going to be max verstappen and red bull last season they just beat the shit out of everybody after the first few races. Ferrari had all sorts of problems, which they're having again this year. As of now, again, we've had one race in testing. The one race was pr- pretty on par with what was going on in the last season. So if you imagine everybody made relative developments on their cars over the off season, you're kind of looking at a um, very similar situation this season with Red Bull kind of leading the way. Uh, Aston Martin's back is actually looking currently looking like second place in the mix as of right now which would be a shocking turn of events for them because they were fifth uh fifth sixth area last year so nothing really great but it would be a huge jump for them um max verstappen did have a little bit of a stomach bug this week so he was a day late getting to Jeddah, saudi arabia normally they get in on thursday the day before practice starts he um came in friday morning was able to get in both practice sessions and led both practice sessions uh, so obviously it doesn't look like it's really going to be a hindrance for him just one of those little things just an extra little thing to worry about speaking of things to worry about ferrari's got a hell of a lot of things to worry about so both ferraris have already received new power units and it's only the second race of the season um, so you're only allowed two power units um, for the season so if you go more than two so say now like for example uh, Ferrari's lead driver, Charles Leclerc, is already on his third. This is his second replacement. He replaced one at the first race after the testing and replaced another one for this race. So he's already taking a grid penalty, which means it's either 10 grid spots or 25 to like the end of the end of the grid. It's going to depend on severity of the penalties, how many times the penalties happened, what's the penalty for. So you'll either go 10-spot grid penalty after your qualifying order or just back of the uh, back of the line so that's going to be obviously extremely worrisome for ferrari to be blowing through engine parts this early in the season especially when they were hoping to be fighting for a championship if not at least second place uh, they got second place last year they were looking like they can challenge for first last year and then again reliability issues like they're having already the cars just started breaking they couldn't finish races and when you're not finishing races you're getting no points so if you got Max Verstappen leading, getting 25 points for a win, and you're not even finishing the race, that gap is going to be insurmountable very, very quickly. So we'll see what happens this weekend. We'll have a little bit better of an idea this weekend. 
Um, there's different types of race course, uh, racetracks, which is your traditional racetracks and street tracks, different types of street tracks. So, you know, what worked in Bahrain for Red Bull might not work in Jeddah. So we'll see. I mean, realistically, it's it's probably going to work. They're, they're going to be very dominant this year. But just as a generalized statement, just because of what happened week one in, in the first race, doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen in this race. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll definitely go over all the, that race and the NASCAR race um, on Monday's episode, Sunday recording. So we'll have a nice little breakdown of that. Hopefully it's a good, interesting race. So there'll be some nice things to talk about. And then we'll go over to another racing. We'll go over to NASCAR right now. Their race is on Sunday as well. So, we'll again, we'll cover the results of these races. We'll do a little breakdown right now. Because uh, there was a really big penalty given down this week, which was pretty surprising for people um, that were that are fans. So Hendrick Motorsports got what what appears to be the what if not the worst one of the worst penalties ever recorded in NASCAR. Each of their four cars were fined a hundred thousand dollars. The crew chiefs were. Each driver was docked a hundred regular season points and ten postseason points. So, I mean, that is that is very, very heavy penalties. Definitely the hardest, harshest financial penalties. And, and the the postseason points is what really, really hurts them. The regular season points are one thing. Because um, generally, if you, if you win a race during the season, the points don't really matter. Because essentially, if you win a race in a NASCAR season, you're guaranteed a spot in the postseason. Unless over, I believe it was 18 guys win a race. You know, so outside of almost everybody really involved winning a race, you're going to end up being in the playoffs just for with a win. So the postseason points end up carrying over in the postseason, right? So once you get the postseason, regular season points get wiped out and you're in another season, essentially. So there's different cutoff races every couple races where, you know, they'll filter out the bottom four guys um, with lack of postseason points. So that's going to be a really big thing for them to overcome. It's thankfully it's very early in the season, so they have some time to kind of figure out how to work around it or work with it to get some of those points back. But this was you know talking August September range, much much different conversation. So the issue really um, with the with the penalty was what it was for. So the way NASCAR operates is it's a one manufacturer supplier. So each so there's a Toyota. There's Chevys and there's Fords. So those are three car manufacturers. So what they what happens then is the car manufacturers will go ahead and design a car, design the body, design all the, the components, everything, blah, blah, blah. They'll go ahead, send it into NASCAR. NASCAR then approves, you know, the design or whatever. And then NASCAR has a supplier that makes all the parts. So every team, regardless of manufacturer, is getting parts from the same man, same supplier. So what was happening is the the parts, again, this is not just Henrik Motorsports that has complained about this. It's been numerous teams that's complained about this, including Colleague Racing and 2311 all have complained about this, that the parts are inconsistently manufactured, right? So you'll have, so the issue in this case with Hendrick was um, front hood louvers. Right, so it's for airflow for the front end of, your, of the race car. So what was happening is they're made out of carbon fiber. But each one that they were getting, say they ordered four 
um, louvers. Each one of them may have been slightly different than the last, giving it a different fit on the vehicle. Again, which is not in accordance with what the specs were. So they're out of spec, and then they don't fit the vehicle necessarily correctly, or they slightly hinder performance, which when you're talking, when they're all stock cars like this, when they're all the same cars more or less, those little differences are going to have the potential to set you apart from being able to pass or not. So the fact that NASCAR is even allowing these parts to be shipped out out of spec is, I, I believe, ridiculous. But then they did not allow teams to modify them enough to fit the vehicle. Not modify them to gain performance, modify them just to make them work. So what happened was last weekend before the Phoenix race, NASCAR came and confiscated the louvers from Hendricks. This is not during qualifying. This is not during a race. They did not race with these louvers on their vehicle. But somehow they still got this ridiculous uh, penalty, which that, that, that's why it doesn't make a lot of sense. It was an issue that they were working through with NASCAR. They don't fit their vehicle. They fabricated them enough to fit the vehicle, but then they got this historic suspension and all these other things and fines and whatnot. So the, Hendricks already said they're going to appeal the decision. So we'll kind of keep an eye on what goes on with that. Because, that, again, that's a very hefty penalty for what seems like a relatively uh, inconsequential um, issue. So, again, we'll keep an eye on that, what happens with NASCAR, because NASCAR needs to get this shit figured out. Because it's, it's affecting the race cars, it's affecting race teams, and it just can't be happening. on, on In this level of racing, it can't be happening. So William Byron of Hendrick Motorsports has won the last two races and looks to keep the streak alive in Atlanta. And don't be surprised if they have a chip on their shoulder to kind of shove it up NASCAR's hoop and be like, well, because we, they didn't race with those loopers. They raced with stock loopers like they had, so and they still won the race, and they're still the fastest cars out there. So don't be surprised if not much changes, even with the penalties. Another sporting event that I'm actually pretty damn excited to watch this weekend is going to be the UFC card. Big time pay-per-view. It's going to be in the O2 Arena in London. So this is going to be um, Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman 3. The final fight, well, what's going to most likely be the final fight in the trilogy. I don't, I don't foresee them fighting any more than this. It's 1-1 one, one between the two of them for the title. Uh, first fight, obviously, Kamaru Usman won. And then the second fight, Kamaru Usman was winning, in my opinion. Was winning, I would... Um, I would say four, maybe three rounds to one. You can argue three rounds to one. You could also argue four rounds none. And then in the fifth round, Kamara was clearly winning the fifth round, again, in my opinion, with less than a minute left in the fifth round while he was appeared to be well on his way into a unanimous decision victory to retain the belt. Now, Leon Edwards uncorked a fucking head kick that just crumpled Kamara Usman. So, like, nothing you've never seen him... He's never been in that position before to get completely crumpled like that. He had no idea what the hell was going on. Just completely KO'd on the ground. Um, there was some review, uh, videos of Leon Edwards before the fight, um, like, motioning, saying, boom, headshot, insinuating um, a kick to the head and obviously a knockout. And I believe there were, at the time, this is a little over a year ago, so... I may be misremembering this slightly, 
I do remember him having a an interview of some sort referring to how he they had trained this move, right? They had known when he would throw a certain hook or a jab that you know, Usman would dip a certain way and then he would be open for a head kick. Very similar to the John Jones-Daniel Cormier uh, fight years ago when John Jones, after the fact, had said, hey, I knew when I did this he would dip his head down uncovered and that's when John Jones kicked him. Very similar to Alexa Grasso fight against Valentina a few weeks ago. After the fight, Alexa Grasso had said, hey, we know when she does that spinning back fist, she's vulnerable for a quick uh, back take. And we just slid right in there just like we practiced, choked her out. And that's how it ended up being so smoothly, right? Everybody's wondering, how the hell? Like, you blinked and she was on her back. Again, she had drilled it previously. Not saying that it obviously wasn't an incredible move in the spur of the moment, but it, it was previously thought about and rehearsed to a degree so she knew that move was going to be available so it wasn't just some complete spur of the moment so definitely looking forward to seeing the trilogy of that fight i don't know who who i think is going to win that right so kamara usman personally i think is the better fighter the issue with usman is his body is deteriorating so like so badly there's a picture came out today on Twitter of him uh, during his weigh-ins, and his knees, his left knee in particular, just looks like it's shredded. It looks extremely just tiny. There's no real muscle surrounding it. It's very undefined. And again, for it just, I don't know. It, I, I don't know who's gonna win that one. I, I'm having a feeling Edwards is gonna win it, especially feeding off the crowd. In London, that is, he's fighting at home. It's a home fight for him. It's champ. That's what he gets. You know, he's been wanting to fight in London for a very long time. I I don't know who's going to win that. I think we're in for a hell of a fight, regardless. I just hope we don't have some injury thing, like we had we've had in the past a few times, especially like the Conor McGregor's. You know, uh, when he broke his leg, I, I I'm just tired of seeing that type of stuff. Obviously, it's part of the sport, but especially when you get all hyped up for these big time fights and then guy gets hurt or even with the last fight with john jones show gone i'm i'm very i'm a john jones fan so i'm happy that he won i was just hoping to see a hell of a fight and it was just he just walked right through him so i'm hoping that this trilogy fight's going to be awesome but if that fight's not awesome the co-main event would almost guarantee some bloodshed in this one you got justin gaethje fighting and any time that dude fights, it's it's a much absolute must watch fights. No matter what you're doing, you got to stop what you're doing and watch a Justin Gaethje fight. He's extremely violent and very very powerful, and he will stand in there and just box. He has no issue doing that. He is one of those fighters that enjoys putting on a show. You got some fighters that all they care about is wrestling, outpointing a guy to death, and just winning by decisions. You got guys who don't mind doing some striking, throwing in the wrestling, and then you got guys like a Mike Perry or like a Justin Gaethje that just loves standing right in front of each other and just punching each other. So that's what hopefully he's got a. It appears like he's going to have a willing opponent, Rafael Fiziev. Uh, he comes with a 12 and one record with eight wins by knockout. So a guy that definitely packs a heavy punch too. So you'd have to think that there's going to be some heavy punches being thrown between these two guys. His last fight, he won. He knocked out Rafael Dos Anjos. So, I mean, that's not exactly the easiest guy to knock out. 
So we're hoping for a good old-fashioned street brawl. It's been a little while. It's been a few cards since we've had a nice street fight in the UFC. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they're not good. They haven't had good fights. That's far from what I'm saying. Just always nice to see one of those just stand and bang type of fights. It's not necessarily the clean, like the most technical. It's not necessarily the most beautiful or fundamentally sound. But goddamn, is it fun to watch? So hopefully we're gonna get ourselves one of those with Justin Gaethje this weekend. Marvin Vittori is also going to be making his return. It's been a little while since he's been fighting. Some injuries, things like that. So he's going to be against, but he's got a tough fight. He, he's talking about coming back for a belt and wanting the belt. Still think that he's a uh, he's a title contender. He lost to Robert Whitaker last fall. No shame in losing to Robert Whitaker. He's always up in that title conversation. But, you know, that's part of it. If you want the title shot, you got to beat Robert Whitaker. you got to beat guys of that class, of that name. So he's going to be fighting Roman Dolaziz. Uh, he's a 12-1 fighter. So, again, a pretty good test for him. A guy with a good amount of wins, good record. So hopefully Marvin Vittori can get back in his winning ways and hopefully be fighting for a title here sooner rather than later. It's good seeing him fight. I, I, I'm a fan of his. He's a good guy. He seems like a good guy. Fun fighter to watch. Just hopefully he can get back on the winning track and hopefully be fighting for a championship eventually again. That you know, it's, it's nice watching. Like especially, I'm a Darren Till fan. Liked him for a long time. It sucks what kind of happened to his career. He looked very promising. See, it almost reminds me a little bit of Marvin Vittori. The Vittori fall off is not not nearly as bad as Darren Till. Hopefully, it doesn't get as bad as Darren Till. But that kind of just a good guy you kind of want to root for just always seems to fall a little bit short. That's going to wrap it up for the UFC. The card itself is pretty good. Nothing that will blow your socks off. It's not like the John Jones card a few weeks ago, but it's definitely no slouch. You got a few good fights, especially on the main card. It's going to be an early card because it's going to be in London. So it's, you know, if you're watching basketball, you might be better off just watching basketball. Maybe flip over for like the last couple of fights in the main card. Other than that, if you throw it on the side, throw it on the side. If not, I would just probably stick to the NCAA tournament. We're going to go to the NFL before we hit the, the tournament. We're going to wrap it up with NCAA. So we're going to go with the NFL. We've got some more free agency news. I know we had went over a lot of it earlier in the week. But, you know, that was a, like I had said during that show. A lot of that stuff's agreed to. It's not necessarily what's going to happen. It appears most of that stuff happened. There was a little bit of weirdness with Jimmy G. I, I don't, still not 100% sure what the hell was going on with that. They had announced that they were going to do a press conference with him. They went to do the press conference. He didn't show up. They delayed it for like an hour. He still didn't show up. And then they postponed it for like a day and a half, two days. And then they announced it. And then he ended up doing the press conference. I'm not really sure what that was about. But that was one of those things. A lot of fans were like, oh, shit. Is this one of those Frank Gore Eagle situations where, oh, yeah, they agreed to terms. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, well, he's on a different team. So hopefully that doesn't happen with it for the Jets here because Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show on Wednesday to kind of just clear the air about what the hell has been going on. There's been so many rumors and things being said about him, and he's been very, very adamant and clear that he doesn't tell anybody anything. So if there's reports coming out that Aaron Rodgers said this, that, the other thing, they're not true, he will say it if it's true. You know, whether you like the guy or not, he's been very straightforward with that. So there's been things back and forth about how he's had like a list of demands and how he's 
holding now he's holding the Packers and the Jets hostage until he gets these demands and waiting to see if his the guys that he requested end up getting signed before he returns or not. You know, so he went on Pat McAfee to kind of just kind of shut all these people up and go basically just tell everybody kind of the truth or at least how he feels about it. So he came out and said essentially he had told the Packers and Jets last Friday that he was want he's coming back and he'll go play for the Jets because the Packers had made it pretty clear. Uh, I believe their GM Murphy had said something to the effect that he was reti- like insinuating that he was retired already, uh, retired already, and he was very thankful for all that Aaron's done for the Packers organization. Essentially, seeing him out the door without him being out the door yet. So that was kind of like the writing on the wall, for the most part. So Aaron kind of said, hey, you know, I want to play again. I'm, I'm going to go play for the Jets um, on Friday. So that was before the tampering window. That was before any of that. It just wasn't public knowledge at the time. So that list of demands he, he had went over, he had said, you know, I'm going to be their quarterback. I'm their quarterback that, you know, they haven't had a quarterback in a long time of that caliber. And it's like, hey. Why would you not want to know who Aaron Rodgers wants or who would he suggest? Considering him and Nathaniel Hackett, who is the Jets' offensive coordinator, have worked together and played together. So why would you not want to surround this new quarterback with a new OC with familiar players to make that system go off the bat? right? Because the issue with the Jets is their offense. Their defense was on very, very good. You're talking like a top five, top seven defense in the league last year. So all that they needed was the offense, and they would have been definitely into the playoffs. So how do you streamline the offense? You get guys that are already familiar with the system, so you can just get in and start clicking. They have some good young players already with Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson on the offense. So, you know, you go ahead and fill some of these spots with like an Aaron Lazard type, that can kind of work with these younger guys, teach them, keep them on the move. And so it's not Aaron Rodgers having to teach all of these guys everything. you got a guy at wide receiver that can say, hey, this is what – see how Aaron's looking right now? This is what he sees. This is what he wants us to do in this situation. Kind of that daily, you know, minute by minute in their ear just teaching them. So it, obviously you would want the guy to say, hey, this is who I like, this is who I don't. You know, it would make no sense not to do it. So the, right now, it appears like the only hang-up is on compensation on the Packers end. Um, that, that seems to be what Aaron was saying in his interview with Pat McAfee, was that you know it's very he straight up said, I want to play for the Jets next year, period. So you have to imagine the Packers don't have much leverage, so I'm not really sure what would be holding it up, because the Packers have been pretty clear that they don't want him. Um, he was even saying that he heard from guys around the league that, the Packers were shopping him previously. So, again, and, and they have to either pick up Jordan Love's um, contract uh, option next year or decide to cut him. You know, there's a lot of other things at stake, and not to mention the $50, $60 million cap hit that Aaron Rodgers comes with this year if he's still on the team. So there would be no reason for them to not just get rid of him unless they plan on playing. They're not going to bench him for $60 million, right? That would make no sense. So I don't see that happening. So I would hope you would hope to think over the next few days the Jets and Packers will be able to kind of figure out a trade. I wonder if maybe they're trying to trade players along with it to kind of figure out some 
some return. Maybe the Jets give a little extra in return and get another player or two back from the Packers. I don't know because some of the players that he would want would probably still be on the Packers, right? It's not like everybody that he's ever liked is not on the Packers anymore. So, again, we'll, we'll kind of keep tabs on that and see where that all leads to. But uh, the Cowboys, over the past couple of days, have actually released uh, Ezekiel Elliott, which makes sense. You know, it, it when you think of the Cowboys, you think of Zeke, obviously, at least over the past five years or so. But it alleviated a $16 million cap that was going to come with them. They still do have about $10 million in dead cap, so it's not all all good in the hood, so to speak. But, you know, you, you end up shaving off some of that. You shave off some of the BS involved with him and the Pollard situation. Kind of with all the, you know, Dallas is always going to be in the news. So if you got Pollard playing over D, uh, over Zeke, it's like, oh, well, we got this and that. And, you know, it just becomes headlines that you don't really want distracting you from trying to play the game, especially since they got issues as it is that they got to kind of deal with. They need a, they need Dak Prescott to figure it the fuck out already. I mean, that guy, he's going to be the reason they don't win more than anything else. But there's been rumors of them being linked to some wide receivers, which would definitely help that team. They could definitely use another receiver. They do have C.D. Lamb, who's very good. But in that division, in the NFC in general, to be trying to fight for NFC championships, you're going to need another wide receiver. You're not going to be running around with C.D. Lamb just torching everybody all the time. They're going to be losing Dalton Schultz to a tight end. So... You know, you're definitely going to want another receiver at minimum and not some, like, slouch four receiver. You're going to want a nice number one, number two. So there's been uh, a lot of rumors of them looking at DeAndre Hopkins, which would make perfect sense. It would make perfect sense for them. They, they should be able to get him on a relatively cheap um, deal. Not necessarily a deal, uh, relatively cheap compensation. So you probably, I, I would assume a third, a third-round pick. I think for an aging DeAndre Hopkins, aging not that he's bad or not even close to what he was. He's still outstanding. We saw it last season when he came back, but more just projecting forward, right? You're not going to really think he's going to maintain this for a lot longer, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does. There's also been some reports uh, floating around about Jerry Judy and kind of being interested in him. But the Broncos have came out and said today that they are not interested in tra- in trading him or Sutton. So we'll see. There's a lot of places that say, "Oh, he's not. We're not going to be trading him." That was the with uh, Derrick Henry during the t- trading uh, the combine. They were saying, "Oh, we're not. Oh, we're looking to trade Derrick Henry," and then all of a sudden, "Oh, we're not looking to trade Derrick Henry." So it could have been one of those things to kind of feel out what what the offers are for him. So we'll kind of we'll, we'll see what happens to Jerry Judy. What, I don't think it would make a lot of sense for the Broncos to trade Jerry Judy. They got Sean Payton now trying to revamp Russ. If you want to revamp Russ, you, you need a, at least a good receiver for them to throw the ball to. Revamp the old line a little bit. Got some good running backs now. You, you, they're not. They don't appear to be in rebuild mode. So it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them to get rid of their best receiver. The DeAndre Hopkins one to me makes the most sense. A buddy of mine, who is unfortunately a Cowboys fan, had said even Stephon Diggs would make sense for the Cowboys. It, it reunite the brothers and you know have them play together. It, it does not make sense for the Bills, though. It, it really doesn't, especially now if you are having Aaron Rodgers go into the Jets and now you got Tua 
if he, assuming he is healthy with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill down in Miami, and now they got Jalen Ramsey on on defense. You know, you're gonna want you're gonna need receivers in Buffalo, especially if you want to keep fighting for that AFC. They they haven't made it over the hump yet, so it would be very short sighted in my opinion for them to get rid of Stephon Diggs. If anything, they need another guy. They can't be getting rid of him anymore because um, that they seem to lack. I think they need to run the ball more, to be quite honest. With you. I think they need to get a good running back because you see it in the postseason. They just become very one-dimensional, and they got Josh Allen just running all over the place trying to huck the ball 75 yards, and that ain't going to win your playoff games. they got to be able to run the ball. If you could see both teams in the Super Bowl this past season, both teams can run the ball very well. So that's just one thing you're going to have to do in the postseason that they're just kind of unable to do in Buffalo. In the same division uh, with the Cowboys, the Eagles have extended Darius Slay and signed Marcus Mariota to be the backup QB. The Mariota deal, $5 million, up to $8 million to be the backup. Eh, whatever, right? He's decent enough, decent enough guy to be a backup, especially fits the system pretty decent. Darius Slay is a big one for them. They end up re-signing Darius Slay and James Bradbury. So the number one uh, cornerback duo in the season in the league last year is back again for another season together and probably the next two, three years together, which they need that if they're going to be having to deal with the Cowboys with C.D. Lamb and potentially DeAndre Hopkins situation over there. Um, you're not just getting by with a number one corner and then some half-ass guy on the other side. You need, you're going to need some good corners to even just stay afloat in that friggin' division. And you got the commanders with Terry McLaurin. Again, just an absolute problem. So you need as good of a defensive backfield as you can possibly imagine, especially trying to come out of the NFC. Then you got to go to the Super Bowl. Not saying the Eagles, just any team in general. You're going to go to the Super Bowl, and who you got to deal with? Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. I mean, now maybe Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, you're going to need to figure it the hell out on in that defensive backfield. And then... Um, Actually, in the same division, the Giants lose their safety. Julian Love, uh, he ended up signing with the Seahawks. I mean, that he's not exactly a world beater. A, a pretty good player, pretty solid player for that for the Giants in their secondary. Giants' defense was not great. Their defensive line is pretty decent, but the back end is just not there. So they can't really be affording to lose too many players on that back end. I'm not a huge I'm not a Giants fan, I'm an Eagles fan. So I don't know uh, about Julian Love game to game, you know what Giants fans were seeing. So any Giants fans out there, if I got this wrong about Julian Love, let me know because I remember when he's played against the Eagles, he didn't seem like a complete scrub. So, you know, he seemed like a decent enough player. I may be completely misreading it. So, that could be on me. We ended up signing with the Seahawks. The Bucks ended up, uh, unfortunately, releasing playoff Lonnie Leonard Fournette and tight end Cameron Brait. That's just one of those things that's a cap, cap casualty. Playoff Lonnie's getting a little bit older. You know, not as effective the past year, year and a half, two years as he was during that Super Bowl run. So, you know, it's, he's a running back. He's been in the league for a few, a pretty good amount of time. So it's, you know, one of those things he's getting a little long in the tooth for a running back and He's going to get cut. Cameron Bray, decent enough player, but it appears like the Bucks might be in rebuild mode. I don't know who the hell they have at quarterback anymore. It looks like Kyle Trask right now. 
there's been reports of Baker Mayfield and all types of shit going on. So I don't really know what they got going on down there, but it, it appears like they might be in a rebuild or at least a one to two year kind of assess where they are situation now that Tom's gone. So, I mean, they still got Mike Evans, poor guy. I don't know what he's going to do over the next few years. I mean, that wouldn't be not a bad trade chip if they end up wanting to do an actual rebuild. If they trade him sooner rather than later, they can get, again, you'd probably think a second, maybe even a first. I, I don't know. The markets between week to week are all jacked up. You got Jordan Poyer signed a new deal. I think it was two years, $14 million. I mean, Jordan Poyer is a hell of a player. So it was a very, it appeared like a very, like, very low deal. Uh, which helps the Eagles in terms of C.J. Gardner-Johnson or whoever's looking. I know the Bengals seem to be in on C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and so is the Broncos from some of the reports. But, yeah, well, he still hasn't decided. There's obviously a lot of free agents still that are out there, especially OBJ. That's another one that's been rumored to go to the Cowboys. We'll see what happens. I don't know what he's up to. From the reports that I've been reading, it appears like he wants 20 mil a year, which is fucking bonkers if he wants 20 mil. And you know, the guys have been healthy. Uh, he thinks that he's still 2016 Odell. Good for him, but I, you got to see it on the field for more than three weeks. So that's a whole different thing. The Pats released cornerback Jalen Mills, who I would imagine would receive from pretty decent attention on the open market. Uh, he had a pretty bad end of the career in, in Philly and went over to the Patriots and seemed to revitalize his career quite a bit. Seems like a, he's been there for a few years. Ended up cutting him. Probably wants a, a pretty good deal. So, those there should probably be some um, some market for him. He shouldn't be on the market too long. They signed tight end Mike Jasicki from from the Dolphins, which you know he was a pretty good player for the Dolphins. Added nice little element down the middle when you got Waddle and Tyreek Hill on the outside. To losing him to an in division rival, not really what you want to see. Uh, you know, the problem with the Patriots is they're not very good, which is crazy to say. I think the Patriots are probably the fourth team in that division at this point in time, especially if the Jets do go ahead and actually pull a trigger on Aaron Rodgers. I think they're the fourth place team, which three years ago, four years ago, if you were saying the Pats were last in the AFC East, people would think you're crazy. I mean, we'll see. Obviously, we got a long ways to go before that season ends up starting, but Thing is to keep an eye on. Don't be surprised if Pats are running dead last in the AFC East. The Bengals made a nice signing, getting uh, left tackle Orlando Brown. This is a twofold good signing for the uh, the Bengals, and because you know Orlando Brown was a left tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. So not only are you gaining a very good one of the top tier left tackles in the league, you have now hurt your essentially their rival, right? I, we're calling them rivals at this point. People are insinuating it's going to be the Tom Brady, um, Peyton Manning of our generation or this generation. So we'll see. I, I don't know. People like to crown these guys way too early. I mean, I can I can definitely see it happening, but to just be, act like it's a foregone conclusion, I mean, I don't know. But, I, I mean, that's a twofold a twofold positive for the Bengals on that one. So good for them. Hopefully they can kind of keep Joe Burrow healthy because – Watching Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes, you know, if, if they do end up kind of running the AFC, now you got Rodgers in there for maybe a couple of years. Josh Allen, hopefully they can kind of figure it out over there. But, you know, to see 
um, Holmes and Burrow battle it out over the next decade would just be incredible. So we got to keep those guys healthy as much as I'm not a big Chiefs fan. But Chicago Bears just seem to have an endless pit of money. I know they did start with one of the highest salary cap uh, available, but that every every time you look, they're making a new deal. So they ended up signing running back Deonta Foreman from the Panthers. Good deal for them. He was a great runner for the Panthers last year, who were a pretty middle-of-the-pack team. We're having to throw the ball a lot because they were just behind a lot. Um, there was a couple of games where he did rip off a couple hundred-yard uh, days. So definitely a pretty good pickup for the Chicago Bears. Uh, and the Panthers didn't lose for too long. They ended up signing Miles Sanders, right? So who was he was the lead back for that record-setting Eagles rushing attack last year. So the Eagles have been getting gutted. Uh, for the most part, um, on offense and defense. All their, a lot of their good players have been gone. But that's a huge pickup for the Panthers. That's a pretty damn good running back. Not um, not necessarily the type of guy that's going to run you over for the most part. Um, he did r- run over Fred Warner in the NFC Championship game, but typically not his style of play. Normally more of a, um, a shiftier back, uh, more of an outside runner. But... Pretty damn good running back. Seems like an all-around good guy. So good pickup for the Panthers. Hope they do, hope he does well um, down there. So we're gonna we're gonna end this thing up here now with the NCAA tournament. Um, there's games still going on right now. Currently we're watching what do we got? K State. Oh, of course, went to this commercial. Um, so we'll we'll just break down uh, kind of what's been going on over the past couple days. I don't know how many of you guys watch um, March Madness. I would imagine probably most of you. It's one of the most important uh, sporting events on in any sports fan's calendar. Um, so, yeah, first round. I know we I had went over the first four in um, that were happening on Tuesday and Wednesday. So the first round uh, really started Thursday into into today, uh, Friday. The reason why I pushed the podcast back a day was because I wanted both. I wanted round one on one podcast. Uh, in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have done it. I don't know. We'll see. I'm still new to this whole thing, so I'm still trying to figure it out. The main issue was I didn't want to have it convoluted on Monday's show, right? Going over round one and two at the same time, um, considering they do teams will play two games this weekend. So I, I just wanted to kind of have them separated. And there's a, a lot of other sports going on this weekend where I will be able to have two full podcasts, but I want to do um, round one by itself just because of what's been going on in round one. Right, so if this was like a boring round, and it was everybody, you know, favorites just kept winning, you know, maybe it doesn't matter as much. But the fact that we have had such an uh, truly insane first uh, two days, two days aren't even over yet, and there is not a single bracket in ESPN's pool that is perfect. Over 20 million brackets, and not a single one is perfect. And this was as of like 10 o'clock Friday Eastern time. So not even all the way through round one, and not a single bracket was left. You got a six seed, a four seed, a two seed, a one seed, all losing in the opening weekend. And don't be surprised if there's more that are going to end up losing. Um, Miami was in trouble for a little while today. Um, Right now, Indiana's only up two over Kent State coming to the end of the first you know, uh, Arizona State's up seven over TCU and just starting into the second half. Memphis is only up four. So, you know, we got right now, those are the games going on. So we're going to we're going to talk about these earlier games 
Um, we'll see what happens kind of as these games maybe peter out at the end here. Maybe we'll be able to get some, some finals before we end up finishing up this episode. So, like I was saying, no brackets left unbusted. Uh, they, most of the brackets ended up getting busted pretty early on, in the day on Thursday. We had a couple of crazy games pretty early. Um, Virginia, uh, number four, Virginia lost to number 13 seed Furman, which this this was a very insane ending to this game. It was a very close game, really back and forth all throughout. It was a nice, just a uh, the perfect start to the tournament. Just even if Furman doesn't win, if Virginia wins, it was a hell of a game, right? So we're down to the final possessions of the game, just you know the fouling, just kind of going back and forth, trying to get a stop here and there. So Virginia has the ball uh, for some reason, inexplicit. Uh, I I don't know what this kid was thinking. I don't. I I'd have never played basketball at any real competitive level, but this kid took the ball and just threw it right into the middle of the court, right at half court, to nobody in particular. Just kind of th- just hucked it up there. Um, it, as I'm watching it, I'm looking. I'm I'm thinking he's throwing it to somebody in particular. They're going for a deep throw like down down the court maybe just kind of waste some time you know make him come back there's only like four seconds left five seconds left not much time at all so he ends up throwing the ball to kill some time maintain possession whatever the case is he throws into the middle of nowhere Furman player Garrett Hine intercepts the pass he passed the ball to this guy named J.P. Pegusis don't know how to say it uh, he had a game-winning three with 2.2 seconds left, like a deep three. This is not a, a toe barely on the line three. This was a, a deep friggin' three. Guy in his face threw it up there. Ends up winning the game for Furman, 68-67. This is the first NCAA tournament win for Furman since 1974. So, absolutely insane start to the day. Uh, I, you know. I got home from work and just watching replays of everything and just mind blown by some of these games and just some of these bonehead mistakes, right? And then right after that, at same time frame, you're talking both these games are pretty much going on at the same exact time. Almost 30 years after Princeton coach Mitch Henderson led his alma mater, Princeton, to an upset victory over UCLA in 1996, he then coached 15 seed. Princeton, right, his own monitor, to knock off number two seed Arizona 59-55. So Arizona was one of the teams that was favored to win the entire tournament. Biden ended up uh, putting his bracket out like a, like a half hour after the game started with Arizona as his number one, and they got knocked off like an hour later. Um, a couple guys from Barstow had the same problem. Put the thing out, Arizona, boom, done, right off the bat. Third straight year, a 15 seed is knocked off a two seed, which is becoming normal at this point. I remember watching it when I was in high school, and if anything ever crazy, like it was like the talk of the town, right? It was on leading every uh, Sports Center episode, every talk show, everything like that. So, for reference, it's only happened 11 times ever, and it's happened in three straight years. So, we might be seeing it, might become ho- hopefully a normal thing. Because seeing, I love seeing big time upsets. Watching these small, like no name schools, kind of just taking out these Goliaths. So it's pretty, pretty awesome to watch. Good. Those are really the two main upsets um, on Thursday. I mean, those are huge upsets. 
So most of those games were pretty much at went as expected, lower seed winning. The only real ones that, you know, were, I guess you can call them upsets. Um, number nine, Auburn beat number eight, Iowa, 83-75, mainly because Iowa couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I was watching the game. I mean, they had every, they were in it the entire time, and they couldn't score for shit. So Auburn was just letting them hang around the entire time. Iowa just didn't want to win. It appeared like, not literally, but just the way they were shooting, just they didn't want to win, or like a magnet in the hoop that was repelling their balls. I have no idea. They just could not score. And then the other kind of upset would be number 10, Penn State. Well, this, this I would consider this a pretty big upset, actually. Uh, number 10, Penn State throttled number 7, Texas A&M, 76-59. Now, the reason why I would consider this a bigger upset than maybe what the seeding would indicate was there were so many people bitching that Texas A&M was ranked so low and it was an insult to Texas A&M because they shouldn't be a 7 seed, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what, guys? You should have probably been lower because you just got your asses whooped by Penn State. You lost by almost 20 points, right? So to act like you were too good for a 17, you should have been a 5 or a 4, then you should have won this game, right? It would have been more embarrassing if you were a 4 seed and you lost. So I think they just need to shut up. I mean, uh, there was somebody, <laughs> I forgot what Cheryl listened to, they were saying that this is a battle of the cults. Because Penn State alumni is notoriously essentially a cult. And Texas A&M, I personally think it's even weirder. They do like these weird class rings and they have these very strange songs that they sing. Um, if you've never seen it, look it up. Nothing against Texas A&M, it's just a little bit bizarre. Um, if you have a chance, look up some of the, the weird cult-like behaviors between those two schools. So the winner of the cult off would be Penn State. So good for them. You're the, the head cult. Uh, yes, like I said, most of those games other than those two and obviously the big two um, were pretty high seed, a uh, low seed winning. Um, early on Friday, today, day of recording, uh, there was a pretty big upset with number 11 seed Pitt smothering 6 seed Iowa State. Uh, they won 59-41. So again, it seems like maybe it's something in the water and with Iowa. They don't like scoring. I don't really know. But to score 41 points is just absolutely insane. You know, coming in as a 6 seed... You know, it wasn't like they were a 15 seed playing a, a 2 and they got smoked. No, you were a 6 seed, got upset by an 11, and only scored 41 points. So, I'm not really sure if Iowa State knew that they were playing a game today or if they thought the game was later. Uh, who the hell knows? But to just completely shit the bed like that in the first round, just, I don't know how it happens. I don't know if these kids just get so nervous. I, I don't really know, but to... To not be prepared or energized enough or pumped up for first round game, I, I don't. I just don't necessarily buy that. You lost by 18 points and you only scored 41. So again, not not a great look for those Iowa teams. But as the day started to get a little bit later, around dinner time, then then the real upset came. The mother of all upsets. Number 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson, who was actually in one of those first uh, four-in games, right, to even play to get into the real 64-team tournament. It was part of the 68. They knocked off one seed Purdue, 63-58. And Purdue did not look remotely competitive during this game. I, I know this. when I'm saying remotely competitive, I'm scaling for talent, right? So the fact that 
They did not look like a one seed remotely throughout this entire game. They, they got outplayed, to be quite honest with you. Purdue got outplayed from whistle to whistle, uh, which was obviously very surprising. So, right, this is the second time ever a 16 seed knocked off a one seed. The only other time that this happened was five years ago when um, UMBC beat Virginia, who was the one seed at the time. So that's University, Maryland, Baltimore County, right? That That is what UMBC stands for. And they beat a one seed ranked Virginia, who actually coincidentally went back to win the title, uh, the national title the next year. So, hey, Purdue, you, you got a chance next year, right? You got a chance. So as long as you just do whatever Virginia did, you'll be back in no time. So this is an all-time choke job by Purdue. Obviously, FD, you know, they reference as FD. I'm not going to keep saying Fairly Dickinson. I think I'm saying it wrong, and I'm going to sound like an idiot. So FDU was, you know, they played very well, obviously. But the fact that Purdue was a one seed and lost and had Zach Eady, who might be one of the tallest human beings ever, uh, appeared to be one of the most dominant players all season long, all throughout college basketball. So what was actually a pretty interesting little little fun fact they were saying on the broadcast was that FDU was the smallest team in the league, and Zach Eady is one of the biggest players, obviously. So it was just very, very funny. Because you could see it on, like, in real time. The, the FDU players were, like, a third of the size of Zach Eady, but it didn't matter. He did not score a point. Uh, he only had one shot in the last 12 minutes of that game. So that, that's your best player if you're Purdue, and he's barely doing anything. Not necessarily, it wasn't necessarily his fault it didn't appear. Like It wasn't like, what is this guy doing? He looks like an idiot. No, it just they just had no juice. You could There was a point in the game with about six minutes left where I was watching it, and you, you just, it was like, oh, this is over. Like Even if Purdue happened to be leading at the time or whatever, it was just like, you could, you could see the body language on the, on the court that like Purdue had no desire to be in that position. They were so shell-shocked, probably because the past two years they've lost to double-digit uh, double seeded teams. Right, so Purdue three years in a row, absolute choke jobs. So once they started even getting close to that point, the mental aspects were like, "Oh fuck, here we go again. Here we go again. We're gonna lose again. We were just here last year and the year before with some of the same players." Right, so you know it, it was just one of those things that that is the absolute beauty of the tournament, though. You'll have crazy games happening. You got a 16 seed uh, beating a one seed. Right now, I'm watching a Memphis and Florida Atlantic. You got Memphis players and coaches yelling at each other on the sideline, and a non it doesn't appear like a non-construct like having to be separated. So they're winning by two with five and a half left. We're gonna I'm gonna watch a replay. Oh, guy shoots a three, steps on Florida Atlantic guy's player, and seems to have rolled his ankle actually. Yep, yeah, it looks like he rolled his ankle pretty. Not doesn't look like it touched the ground like bent, but uh, yeah, uh, they they again again yeah. Well, it's super competitive. I mean that, that shit happens. If they weren't getting aggravated with each other, then that that would be a little bit more concerned to be quite honest with you. You kind of want to see that from time to time. But yeah, right now you got Memphis up by two. Um, don't really have much more um to really talk about. Oh, actually there is. A little bit more that I want to go with the FDU thing. A little bit, of, a little more fun fact stuff more than anything else. 
So the even crazier part about FDU being in that first four in, winning that, and then beating number one ranked Purdue, the even crazier part is they shouldn't even been in the tournament to begin with. So they play in the Northeastern Conference um, with Merrimack. So Merrimack played FDU for Northeastern Conference Championship. Merrimack won. So in essence, Merrimack got the bid, the automatic bid for the tournament. The problem is Merrimack last season, or I don't remember exactly which season, I forgot already. One of those, like most recently, was a Division II team. So what happens is when a Division II team, even in football, goes from D2 to D1, like jumps a division up in in talent, so to speak, they're postseason ineligible. So even though Merrimack won the conference tournament and should have been in March Madness, they were not allowed, so the runner-up won, and that was FDU, who now went to the tournament and did the upset. So again, just another little weird little fun fact, the fact that they weren't even supposed to be there, and the only reason they're there is because the most asinine rule, maybe of all time, the, the fact that you can go up a division and then have to serve a postseason ban is ridiculous to me. I could get it if you like got relegated, if you went from D1 to D2, and you were like, no, no, you can't be running in the postseason. Yeah, makes sense. Going the opposite direction makes zero sense. I don't know why they still have that rule. They they got to kind of do something. I, mean, I, I don't see the rationale behind it. There's no reason why. If anything, you got more D2 caliber players than everybody else. So, so the fact that you win the conference is even more impressive. But, yeah, that, that, they need to figure that one out. And then the last little tidbit was actually, again, a little – little pretty cool thing. Uh, before FDU ended up running out the tunnel to go play, their coach, Tobin Anderson, uh, had his team come around, and they kind of called their shot, right? So he had referenced – it was hard to tell in the video exactly what the coach's name that he referenced was, but he said, Coach so-and-so was talking to me after breakfast and had said, the more I watch Purdue, the more I think we can beat them. Let's go shock the world. So – they they must have seen something on tape or it was just BS and they were just trying to fire their team up. Either way, it worked. They went out there and they thoroughly beat Purdue. It wasn't some it wasn't lucky a lucky bounce, like a like a three quarter court shot at the end of the game that just banked it in and just got lucky. They thoroughly beat them, you know. So pretty impressive win for them. So I'm just warning you guys now. You're gonna see a lot of people saying Tobin Anderson made that quote up and he said it if you watch the full video he from what i the video that i saw he referenced another coach saying it to him so that's what you want the real shit there you go that's the real real quote was from another coach from what i've seen so just just trying to make a little uh just make sure you guys know who's telling the truth All right so yeah i mean that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this episode um, we're going to go over everything on um, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening into Monday. New episode will be out Monday morning, back to normal. Now that we got the, kind of this episode out of the way, just wanted to make sure I had as many of these games as possible. This way it wasn't like I'm covering Friday's games, Saturday's, and Sunday's games. And it's like, oh, well, this team won and then they won and lost. And it's like, you know, this doesn't need to be that way. I figured let's see um, this this works, so. But um, if anybody can, please listen on Spotify if possible. It helps me out with the analytics, stuff like that. If you can't, great. It's not 
not a big deal whatsoever. I'm just happy you guys are listening. Really appreciate it. Um, if you guys can, please go ahead and follow on Twitter. It's going to be at underscore one stop sports. Uh, it would really mean a lot if you guys start following on Twitter and maybe start interacting a little bit. Give me some feedback, what you like, what you don't, what, you know, maybe if there's sports that you would like me to cover more or not cover more, you know, just little things like that. Um, any little tips or tricks that you guys got, anything would help. I'm all really all open ears. I just kind of want to do the best job I could possibly do. Uh, it's hard. You know, I do this all by myself and I'm first time. This is like the first time I've ever recorded myself or published anything. You know, I've never done any of this type of stuff before. So bear with me as I try and navigate my way through it. Eventually here sooner rather than later, I'm going to be trying to figure out an intro song. Um, I think actually what I'm going to do, maybe at the end of this episode, I'll see if I can figure it out. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I think if I can, if you listen on Spotify, I think I could do it. If you don't, I'm not sure if it's going to work. What I'm going to try and do is add a, a random song at the end of each podcast, just kind of some easy listening on the way out. We'll see how it works. We'll see if I can even do it, if it's going to allow me, if i got to pay. I'm not really too sure. But please, everybody, listen. Uh, I really appreciate it. Please subscribe, follow, whatever it is that you guys can do. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. You know, Interact with me. Just give me some feedback. Um, again, appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy your St. Paddy's Day. Um, have a good weekend. Look forward to he- talking to you guys on Monday.